bitch. Ah, you know what old Jack Burton always says at a time like this? When you have to shoot, shoot, don't talk. Bitch, the Chicago. Hello everyone, what is up? It is me, Ewan, and welcome to a new episode of the We Love Dad Movies podcast. Uh, We're diving into, for the first time I believe on this podcast, my favourite director, John Carpenter, and not his debut work, but certainly his first entry in the dad movie canon, I will say, with 1976's Assault on Precinct 13. Carpenter's Howard Hawks-inspired, just amazing action suspense filler film, whatever you want to call it. Um, I got to see it on the big screen at the Tyneside Cinema the other week due to their Prince of Darkness tribute season. Uh, They're showing pretty much all of Carpenter's films through to um, In the Mouth of Madness, so... As you can imagine, that's been amazing for me. It's a big carpenter head. Um, and I thought it'd be a really good opportunity to welcome back Dan Grima to the podcast. Hello. Hey Dan. How are you? I'm doing I'm doing pretty good. You know, it's um it's been a nice little chill time. I've realized that it's actually been like it feels like it's been a while since you've been on the podcast now. It's like been like a month it's... or something. Oh, maybe. We did Indiana Jones. A to live and die in LA was, like was the last four one. Months ago, and then we did to live and die in LA, which was maybe maybe one or two months ago. Yeah, I think it was the end of last month. Um, it does feel like it does feel like a while. Yeah, yeah, but I thought this would be a good little good one to do because we were going to do the Expendables, and then <laughs> it turns out that I don't like the Expendables. <laughs> so I've not seen the fourth one, and I heard it got bad reviews, so I don't really want to. Well, go yeah, and watch it. Can we go super briefly into the Expendables? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Because <laughs> you just really made me laugh because you were like, Dan, let's do-. And I didn't know if you were going to say this, so I wasn't going to say anything. I didn't know if this, this is a little behind the curtain. You're in, you're no, like, you can, unless it makes me look bad. <laughs> no, 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 you know, no worse than you will make yourself look. You were like, you were like, Dan, oh, let's do the Expendables. Oh, what's that supposed to mean? <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. Oh, you were my like, Lord. You were like, Dan, let's do the Expendables. And I was like, yeah, I was. okay. And I was like, are we doing like the Indiana Jones episode are we going to do like for all three movies maybe four in one episode and you were like no let's do an episode for every single let's Expendables let's do one I was like, each one let's do it I was like it. okay uh, you know I'm up for that I'll do it I'll find some shit to talk about but I also had a bit of a thing where I was like <laughs> am I going to have enough to say about each individual Expendables because I have a very mixed relationship with Expendables and both my letterbox reviews I put for the first Expendables talk about how it should be my favourite movie of all time and it's the most I think the way I worded it this time was it's the most three-star movie that's ever three-starred. And so you and I both watched The Expendables (laughs) and you texted me the next day to be like, I don't have anything to say about that movie. I was like, yeah, all right, fair. So we then decided to do the the, the full, we, we decided to do the full franchise. Heard very mixed things about Expendables 4, which I am seeing in about an hour and a half. This will oh. date the episode if you look at my letterboxd. Um, and then we both realised how good Assault and Precinct 13 was, so here we are. Yeah, that's basically the overarching narrative of this. I mean, to be to be clear, I do have fond memories of that first Expendables movie and could talk about it in a future episode. I love Expendables 2. I actually like She's Expendables good, 3 more than a lot of other people. I actually like that movie quite a fair bit. Um, but I just do not have... My brain is not no, in the right no. position right now to justify spending money to go my, see a potentially bad action movie. <laughs> my worry about Expendables 3 was that I have exclusively talked movies I like 
and mostly love on this podcast and i was going to have to come in negative on expendables 3 oh wow i actually again I, I i like that one even though it has a lot of stuff that's wrong with it i think maybe antonio banderas hard carries it maybe but i'm glad i'm glad we ended up on this and i was very um very jealous that you got to go see this movie on the big screen Yes, it was, it's been a treat. Honestly, when the Tyneside announced that they were doing like an entire John Carpenter tribute season, like my, uh, I did like the whole Looney Tunes thing. Like if I had a hat, it would have gone, <laughs> woo! They would have started yeah, doing yeah. like spinning things above me. And, uh, like your but... heart started beating out your chest. Like yeah. a heart shape there. Yeah, 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 exactly. So um, this was amazing. I've got um, The Fog to look forward to next, I think. Nice, cause... I haven't seen that. They they are showing uh, Halloween, but they had some difficulty procuring that, so they're not showing that until um, I think actually Halloween itself. Yeah. Um, I went to see a double bill of Escape from New York and Escape from LA with my cousin also like last jealous. month, which was fantastic. I haven't the, seen Escape from LA either. Oh, dude, it's really underrated. It's uh, it's one of those where I like I watch it. I'm like, why do people? What if people hate fun? Evidently, like, <laughs> Bruce, right, Dan. Just to sell you on that movie, Bruce Campbell plays the Sold. Surgeon General of Beverly Hills, Sold. Sold. and he's basically like a surgeon to the stars. But because LA is now a decrepit post-apocalyptic wasteland, he's basically harvesting organs from anyone unfortunate enough to come by <laughs> to basically do surgery on all these like surgery addicted like Beverly Hills residents. It's really, really funny. He's really good. I, in it. I do need to watch it. I like Escape from New York a lot because it, who doesn't? Yeah, it's a great time, honestly. And it goes in on like evangelical politics. Like if Escape from New York's really good at like holding in on that law and order, law and order panic, um, then LA is the equally prescient follow-up because it dives into the whole evangelical yeah. religious side of like American conservatism. Um, and obviously, you know, Carpenter goes in on Hollywood and stuff, which is which is fun. Um, but yeah, so the fogs after that is going to be a thirty-five millimeter print, which I'm really excited to go see. Um, and then, obviously, uh, the the showing the thing is a part of the Halloween all nighter, but I saw that Hell in yeah. last year, so I'm going to skip that. And they've got a double bill of Prince of Darkness and In the Mouth of Madness, which I'm super excited for because I love Prince of Darkness when I saw it last year. And I haven't seen In the Mouth of Madness um, because I don't think there's a physical release of it in the UK. I mean, I've tried to watch it online. I don't think any streamer carries it. So um, that's going to be a rare and fun opportunity. I believe Odeon is showing Christine as well. Oh, yeah, Christine. Sorry, Christine's coming at the time side as well. Christine's amazing, dude. You should go watch Christine. Yeah, I'm planning to. I I, I have a good sort of... uh, I'm going to... I was going to see... I was going to try and see The Exorcist this weekend, but I don't think I'm going to be able to, unfortunately. No! No, uh, why would you say a, that? A, a work got in the way. Um, so I, I have to... Uh, I might have to miss that unless it's showing on another day. Um, but I'm going to aim for Christine. Can't you get one of those cuddly sharks to cover for you? <laughs> oh, they're busy. They're all, they're all the showing of The Exorcist, so... Uh, <sighs> they all put their tickets before me, those bastards. <laughs> I'd take I'll, I'll watch it. Go I'm going to see it either way because, yeah. you know, it's Friedkin and I, I love him now. So Yeah, good. I mean, I finished slightly related to this. We've not even, we will get to a slot in Precinct <laughs> eventually. I promise, I promise everyone. I, I finished reading Legion um, the other day, which is uh, Blatty's sequel to The Exorcist. So William Peter Blatty obviously wrote the original Exorcist novel yeah. and then he wrote Legion several years later. Uh, having, you know, rewatched Exorcist 3 recently, I've been on a big Exorcist kick and everything. Um, and 
that was great. I absolutely adore that book. And then at the end of it, they mention there's this really great bit where they go and see a double feature of Gunga Din and The Third Man. And then it just happened to work out really nicely that I visited home this weekend and uh, The Third Man was on BBC iPlayer. So we, I watched that for the first time. So yeah, it's been, it's, it's been, it continues to be a lovely movie year, Dan. I don't know about you, yeah, but I'm having a great time. I'm also having a very good year. I've seen yeah. a lot of good stuff for the first time this year. Uh, I, I think I've watched like three five star movies the past like week. Yes, so hell I'm, yeah! I'm, I'm in I'm in a good I'm in a good place. Can't wait for the Expendables four to dis- probably disappoint me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we should talk about John Carpenter because I feel yes. like I've brought his name up a bunch of times on this podcast, and people who've listened for a while should really know that like he's my boy. I love. John I can't Carpenter. believe you've gone this long without doing a John Carpenter it's movie. It's kind of mad. Um, it, yeah, I, I don't know how. <laughs> I don't know You're how. Big trouble in Little China guy. <laughs> well, no, I'm waiting for because that's going to be on the cinema as well. That's Yo, coming I get November, it. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, that's... I'm going to watch that and then do it. You got to see there. that on the big screen. That's um, so good. Yeah, I mean, I saw it on the big screen when they last had it there. <laughs> it was great, but I could like watch that movie on repeat. It is the most watchable thing ever. It's going into this movie. Assault in Precinct 13, this is where I had a realisation that I don't know if I really hear people ever say, but I I said this to you last night, I think this is my favourite John Carpenter movie. Assault I hear that a lot. I hear that a lot. I, really? Honestly, like, you know, no, I, I definitely do. I feel like a lot of people go and bat for Assault in Precinct 13, but the other interesting thing I feel like with Carpenter fans is that... Um, they always have a different answer for like a favorite movie. Like I know as yeah. many people who like Carpenter, whose favorite Carpenter movie is the thing, and they'll go and bat for that and say that's his magnum opus. I know plenty of people who are like Halloween. That's his Halloween movie. was. I always thought Halloween was my favorite Carpenter. So, movie so like, I know a yeah. bunch of people, like you say, you saw in Precinct Thirteen, They Live, um, and I'm Halloween's there. probably my favorite like hot straight horror movie. Yeah, I mean that's. I mean it is a masterpiece. Yeah, um, I mean, it's, it's a boring answer, but it's it's so good. The thing that I like about John Carpenter's films is that I feel like he has the uncanny ability to just reach into my brain and do the things and, and, and touch the right places and is like, yeah. this is what I want to see. There's a this fun... you and I think is cool. Yeah, there's a fun, spirited nature to his work that I really, really like. And I think it's because it comes from that whole, that, that classic Hawksian tradition. I'm going to be bringing up Howard Hawks a lot on this podcast. Um, where it's often character-driven. He's really, really good that aspect of filmmaking you know he really does immortalize characters and i feel like he's really versatile as a filmmaker you know he is considered the master of horror and assault in precinct 13 you could argue is a horror movie uh, in plenty of different ways it was partially inspired by night of the living dead um, it's, yeah it's a zombie movie without zombies but i think he's he's great at everything and i think what he's left behind is a filmography like it is is genuinely fantastic and there's a lot of stuff from his later years which i know a lot of people kind of consider to be less than peak that i will go back for i really like vampires i think vampires is a really fun time um and i gotta watch escape... ghosts of mars again yeah yeah escape from la too i actually haven't seen ghosts of mars which i know i, I should do because it has um it has the state in it as well an ice cube yeah an ice cube yeah but um yeah i i love carpenter um and assault on precinct 13 um, was one that I ended up watching for the first time um, the other year. I think it might have been two years ago now. Because um, I kind of like my first Carpenter movie was um, Halloween, and then I watched like The Thing, um, They Live, Big Trouble in Little China, um, sort of in that order. Um, yeah. 
so it's like one of those where it's like I'm really into Carpenter but it's kind of been like a recent obsession of mine and by recent I mean over like the last few years and I saw it on Precinct 13 when I saw that for the, for the first time of the year I was like yeah this is amazing it's kind of impressive that he kind of came out and obviously there was Dark Star before this but it is kind of really amazing that he came out and was so fully formed like it's so uniquely him obviously with a lot of Howard Hawks to it um, but it's like it's so cool that he just came out and he was like yeah no it's John Carpenter's Assault in Precinct 13 um, and also I'm going to compose it I'm going to get my unique kind of like synthy sound going to it's just a remarkably well-formed production. There are certain things about it that I can tell, you know, could be improved. There's a lot of tell and not show in the film where they just kind of, like, are describing things and it's a little bit stilted that way. Um, but that's, like, a minor, minor blemish and what I think is an impeccably crafted thing. And again, I think... Well, I'll wrap my point up now. Uh, the thing that <laughs> makes this movie work for me so much other characters like i feel like the yeah, performances oh yeah. from austin stoker um laurie zimmer uh darwin Justin, they they are an inc- they they form one of the most incredible triumvirates in in movie history and it but be- be- it's bewildering to me that like they didn't have prolific acting careers after this because yeah, they are all if... amazing in this i don't know if i've seen any of them really in like I couldn't name a movie I've seen any of those three in outside of this, I'll be honest. Well, Darwin Justin has a tiny, teeny tiny role in The Fog. Um, right, okay. As well. yeah, so I, I haven't seen that one, to be fair. But um, they, you're right. Like, why why were they not... Well, it's, it's, I have read about stars. this. Like, I did read about this, and apparently, like, Justin, he basically didn't get as many parts as he was, like, hoping for, and he basically settled into becoming, like, a, a roadie. He did a lot of, like, uh, or oh, Teamster, wow. sorry, where he did a lot of stuff, like, on film, like, helping film production. I think Tarantino referred to him as, like, one of the most untapped talents of his generation. He's he's, um, the, he's the star of this movie. He's sure. absolutely phenomenal. And I think Laurie Zimmer, um, she only did a few things after this, and... Yeah, Austin Stoker again, kind of not really prolific either. It, it's a, it's especially kind of a thing with Austin Stoker because it's it's like a, and I admittedly also didn't really know what these actors' names were before looking it up this time around. Big big deal for a a, a black man to be leading a movie like this in the seventies, and I, I I yeah I wish he'd gone on to do a lot more after this because he's I I he's so like all three of them are so charismatic in this movie and what i think really elevates it is that because because the movie's like a really it's a basic movie in terms of premise it's very simple just the, the characters like you say really elevate it and the script the dialogue between them is is great and they they all interplay with each other so well um the character lee laurie zimmer's character is is one of the like low-key most badass like female characters yeah i'm a huge movie. I have a huge crush on every single like on that on that on that front three. I have a huge crush on all of them, and Laurie Zimmer is like iconic Hawksy yeah, woman. Yeah, she's so great. She uh, gets shot bit... in one scene. Well, and I was just about she's to terminate her. Fuck's sake, you beat me oh, to sorry. it, you bastard! I was just gonna say the bit where she gets shot in the arm, and she just doesn't even movie. flinch, and then just like goes back. It's great. It's kind of like an undead quality to her. Where she's like so calm and collected, and also just kind of taking everything yeah. in her stride, and like I love how slow and methodical her movements are, and 
yeah there's so there's so much to this movie and like you touched on like austin stoker there you know black man being cast in a non-black exploitation role as the main lead like that is like that, that is that is big and like race does form a part of that dynamic in the story you know it is so good but yeah a, a brief synopsis on assault and precinct 13 uh, basically, Austin Stoker is a newly uh, assigned um, highway patrol officer who has to take control of a police precinct that is being slowly decommissioned. Um, so he's being given kind of a graveyard shift to to you know he's he's coming in wanting to be a hero. He wants to kind of like get some notches on his belt, do some good. Um, but he's been assigned to do the, to work this this kind of bum job um and before that we have this kind of amazing opening where um the gang of the film which is kind of a supernatural threat in and of itself street thunder um steal some weapons and get absolutely massacred by the um the kind of like nebulous just vague gun-toting arm of the law um in the darkness that scene is so well done and then it cuts to them making a blood blood oath together um, to basically just shoot anything, shoot anyone. And it's kind of it's kind of typical of that seventies, you know, law and order panicky era where you've basically got a lot of sickos making the headlines. Um, Where's Cobra when you need him? Yeah, exactly. Cobra would have Cobra would have been good to have <laughs> in Assault on Precinct Thirteen. Um, but yeah, they basically resolve to have this like th- to go on a rampage and to just kind of do it without any rhyme or reason, uh, and that eventually leads them to Precinct Thirteen, um, in which Stoker's Highway Patrol officer has to enlist the help of um, two convicts to to live because. They're not really these. The Street Thunder Gang isn't really discriminating between cop and non-cop. They're basically there to kill anyone inside that building, um, and I mean, we just it's... get this amazingly suspenseful film that just it works on every level. And the, the thing is, this movie it, it takes a little while to kind of get going. It's 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 about ninety minutes, and it's it's about forty until the sort of main siege takes off but isn't that 40 minutes so suspenseful yeah that's this so this is what i love about it is that you could you could accuse this movie and you would be wrong you could accuse (laughs) this movie of having a slow start because it does take half the runtime for the action to kick off but you are constantly on the edge of your seat for the whole scene like the first half of the movie cuts between uh, stoker's character bishop going to the precinct and getting involved there getting to know people um the the convicts on the bus because the, uh, the the character excellent action movie name napoleon wilson oh is a death is he a death row inmate he's he's on death row right uh yes yeah yeah, yeah so they he talk is. about how him having yeah. like an execution date eventually he's supposed to be getting transferred to another prison but an inmate on the bus is sick so they have to stop over for the night at precinct 13 um you've got a father who's just driving around with his daughter who's really the guy who kicks off the entire plot um because his daughter is 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 murdered in a very brutal scene um and he kills the guy that did it out of the gang and they're they're basically for the whole movie they're kind of 
almost using this guy as an excuse to just kill everyone in there. Um, but it, it, some of the scenes, there's not a whole lot going on. Like, there's a couple of scenes with the 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 dad and his daughter just kind of getting on with what they're doing for the day. But you have Carpenter somehow imbues it with this just unease that you know something really bad is going to happen at some point, and he does it in a way that like so few filmmakers would manage to do successfully. Like this movie, the, the first half of this movie could so easily be boring. Do you know what I mean? Like, but because Carpenter is so good at what he does, it's it's fascinating the entire time. I think one of the most suspenseful moments in this film is when the 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 four kind of main Street Thunder guys they get in like the black sedan, um, and they're just patrolling up and down the streets. It's it's shot so expertly, so you see them kind of putting the silences on their weapons, and then you get this gorgeous shot of the rear of the vehicle kind of well placed to the to the rear right or is it the front right or the rear right of the vehicle i can't remember which and it's you just the, see the rear right and you just see this silenced assault rifle peek through the window and then it cuts to the pov shot of them basically you know holding any passers-by's life in their hands you know they're, they're aiming down the sights at like there's a guy who's kind of like just drinking in the street. They look at like an old woman who's who's like carrying her shopping at one point, and then they dwell on this poor ice cream man. Um, and the way they do it is great because because they've already kind of fluctuated on and off between who they're actually going to target. And when they drive past the ice cream guy, you're almost kind of like, oh, maybe they are just going to leave them alone then, and maybe this will be a scene of no consequence. And of course, that's not the case at all because they come back. Um, and that entire sequence is so well done. And again, like Carpenter's score just completely elevates it. And you just, you just that, that part where she's just like, I, I, I wanted vanilla twist. It's like, what, if, lady? Just be happy with your little ice cream. Don't, <laughs> don't, don't go back. And it's, it's so like the way Carpenter arranges that scene. It is designed to be the most brutal, sickening version of that scene you could have. They yeah. don't just shoot the two of them. They take the ice cream guy out of his van. He sticks the barrel of the gun in his mouth. And rather than kill him right there, they tease him. You know? They tease him a little bit. And then they, they shoot they shoot him on the ground. And then, you know, obviously, the, the girls come around and is like, Hey, mister, I want a lemon twist. Or vanilla twist or whatever. And without even looking at her, this, this sicko just, like, shoots her. And there's, like, that, you know, squibs and all. Without she falls to the ground it, yeah. without even thinking about it. It's, it's just not on his mind at all. He's that much of a deranged guy that it's like that, and it's just it's it's the destruction of innocence. And like it's it's really good. It's a really good play on kind of like Hawksian filmmaking because at the beginning of the film, obviously you have Stoker kind of whistling happily out on this lovely kind of like you know if if it was a western, he'd be walking out of his ranch with the white picket fences <laughs> or whatever, getting to go to you know into town to do his duty. Um, he's whistling, he's having a great time having banter with his fellow cops you know, it's very much having that kind of incongruous nature of like well this is the America you think you know and this is the America that really is and it's like that that kind of juxtaposition is so brutally effective and that shot of where the father who's been in the phone booth looks across and can just see his daughter lying on the ground um it's incredible like that it's it's just such brilliant filmmaking like it's so efficient everything just makes sense like there's 
you know, him being told, oh, there's a gun in the glove compartment and his first instinct is to go after them. Like, it's just, it's so good. Like, for as much as the movie has a sense of humour and is fun, it approaches those darker moments, like, with 100% commitment and believability. And I love it. And I think that, again, what I love about this film is that that juxtaposition element, but it's also kind of like that internal conflict between like, oh, you know, Rio Bravo is the antithesis of High Noon, where High Noon was kind of like an allegory for the uh, the blacklisting that was going on in Hollywood and like the, the House of an American Activities Committee. The guy who wrote it was basically, you know, um, tar- blacklisted um, for alleged communist sympathies. Rio Bravo gets made as a, re- as a response to that basically because High Noon's like all about this lone sheriff and when he needs help no one comes to help him. Rio Bravo is like the three coolest dudes in the world teaming up <laughs> to help John Wayne and, and Dean Martin like you know fend off um, you know do the right thing and, and, and defend this town from evil bandits um, and Assault on Precinct 13 it's like well it's very much about this guy this this one cop making this this last stand to protect this man he doesn't even know to kind of really personify the the good nature of it all while at the same time reckoning with the fact that like wow things are really messed up at the minute and what does it take for people to do the right thing and i you know and and i love how starkly the film renders that it's just a beautiful beautiful piece of work yeah and i i love that they they do sort of wrestle with it a little bit and having one character be like Hey, the the so that like the the dad whose daughter's died eventually kills the guy the the gang member goes to the station, the the gang's after him and one of the like uh, like receptionists or it's Nancy or... Lemus's character who you may remember yes, as Annie yeah. Annie in Halloween, um she's like oh they want him let's just let's just let him let them have him, and I love that all the other characters are just like no this I'm here my job's to protect people I'm going to protect this guy. And there's another kind of... You've got Lee, who's the other kind of assistant receptionist. I'm not sure what... I'm supposed to sound bad here and not knowing the job title, but... um, Who's also just like, no, we're going to... We're here to help people. We're going to do this. And no one kind of... I I like that they don't even have that kind of thing where they try and do it or they consider it. They just want to kind of i guess protect and serve if you're using the actual kind of cop language which unfortunately isn't as well utilized in real life but (laughs) i I love the way this movie approaches it yeah it's it's remarkably well done um and i think that you know when they're first figuring out just how screwed they are and i love the irony of it like they're there like oh we're still taking phone calls this is so annoying i told the company i like cut the phone lines or whatever hours ago and then like this then yeah. they lose all communication to the outside world and the evil presence in the movie snakes around so silently and like they you know the kind of like alamo situation where it's like well we're kind of doomed but i guess we'll just go down fighting best we can and i love how um bishop reckons with the decision to free napoleon um and the other guy who's really really funny and a really good performance he's great um, it's, it's um it's what's wells. his name in rocky wells isn't it yeah tony burton it's the guy yeah. from rocky tony burton yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. he's fantastic Duke. in this yeah 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 um and honestly dan the the bit where they're creeping in 
into the precinct and um napoleon uh, uh, sorry lee has just helped napoleon break out and i think she's already taken the bullet to the arm that's amazing yeah, carpenter she's, then, she's letting them out yeah yeah carpenter follows that up with one of the the oh, and they also had that great bit where napoleon breaks that dude's arm in the prison cell oh my god it's so good oh and um, he like elbows him down yes like, yes down so it's good. brutal it's so good um, but immediately after that that bit where napoleon makes it into the main entrance of the building and um bishop throws in the shotgun and he turns around and just blows those guys to smithereens it's so great it's my favorite shot in the movie it is just i love it so much i love napoleon is such a beautiful character so immaculately performed i can say that for pretty much every character in the film you know they're all so they have such a great presence and how they run everything what I love about Napoleon is they kind of so many movies have done characters like this that like mysterious badass guy who's in prison or is a a bad guy a criminal or something like that and they all do it the same way and I kind of love this sort of slightly different take on it where he's not there he, he never really causes trouble with any of the cops he's he's kind of a man who's resigned to where he is he's fine with it he knows what he's done and he knows he's done it and i kind of like that they never really properly let you as the audience know what he's done or why he's you, well, they kind of let you know what he's done but they yeah, don't let you know why he's it, done it it would be so easy to just be like you know he's a bank yeah. robber or whatever yeah or, or say know. like he's like like cameron poe in con air where they're like yeah, yeah oh, he, he went killed away three guys for... but they were the bad guys yeah yeah exactly but he he could just as easily be like a sick serial killer or like you know for, like to get the death penalty like that that's a serious thing i think the only clue you get is like why did you kill those men napoleon um like you don't get like a firm it's just like yeah i'll tell you later yeah yeah you, you never get a firm answer so it's totally up to you to draw your own conclusions on it but when push comes to shove like he really comes through it's kind of like partially like almost a bit of a release for him but at the same time he's like i'm here to help and do the right thing do the good thing I do love that he gets a brief moment of like fucking with the cops that are dicks to him because I I love the bit where at the start where the 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 police character like is it the guy who uh, I forget his name is it Stalker is he the guy that like pushes him off the chair or is it someone um, else that does that it's 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 the main it's not the guy who's on the, the, the bus it's it's the asshole warden I, I, the I love prison. I love that bit because he pushes him off the chair and, and Stalker's like what oh, what was happening to you and he's like oh I I don't sit down I don't sit down as well as I used to. Mm-hmm. And then he he later on like ties somehow gets his chain around that same warden's legs and pulls him back and does the uh, he he don't stand up as well as he used to, and it's like the one bit where he does kind of like fuck with the the cop that's messing with him, but for the most part he's like a good prisoner and then he's genuinely helpful from start to finish when the siege <sighs> kicks off. Dude, as well. Sorry, I need to mention all this time he's asking for a smoke. Is anyone got yeah. a smoke? The, <laughs> you got a smoke. The bit. The bit where Lee hands him the cigarette and lights it for him might be the sexiest thing I've ever seen in a movie, <laughs> ever. Oh my god! Those two had such good chemistry. I mean, to be fair, they all had chemistry with each other. They could probably be a really good thruple. Like they, 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 they could pull it off. <laughs> that I, I, that's my favorite part of that because he goes, he's like asking people for the whole movie. He got a smoke, and then the, finally he gets one. He immediately has to be like. You got a light. <laughs> I guess the follow up straight away. But the I I love like you say like the scene when he gets through the door and he's like they're coming this way, and then 
Bishop throws him a shotgun and he blows those guys away. It's incredible because it's really cool from like an action movie perspective. But I love that they don't just mess about with having this rivalry between those two characters. No. They're just both like, we got shit to do and we're going to have to do it right now. No questions asked. There's that great moment where where Bishop has thrown Napoleon the shotgun and he's realising that he is putting... I'm sorry, where Bishop has thrown Napoleon the shotgun he realises that he is putting his life in the hands of someone who has clearly got a terrible yeah. reputation for having done something. And I love... It's it's a very brief pause. It's It's so brief that he probably doesn't register as a pause but there is a moment where you kind of look at bishop and he's like dear god like this this i've put my life in the, and at that moment of trust i think you know it cements napoleon it's like well i you trusted me enough to protect you so i'm gonna yeah. go the whole mile now um and it's just great because you, you follow that that up with um that that shocking moment where um uh, Nancy Loomis's character has died as well in that crossfire because at, at that point you've gone from the film being really dark and brutal um, to having that kind of exciting moment of like catharsis and violence you know they're all coming together to fend off the nasty people and then Carpenter brings us crashing back down to earth with well she died and and that that's it you know um, all the while the the father at the at the beginning of the film he's still kind of like just completely shocked and can't talk it's just brilliant and i love that again like it's that balancing act the movie works so well um i love it <laughs> it's so good and but when the action just finally kicks off it it it, it become because it's, it's such a dark movie i feel like i'm very rambly today it's, no no, no um, i i'm not on my i'm not on my best form you're doing well <laughs> it's such a dark movie up to that point like with the murder of a child and then the dad getting the revenge and, and all this and then the second the actual siege like kicks off properly it becomes the most fun action movie you can imagine like i'd love that whole bit of just it cut in between all the different characters just aiming at the various windows and just shooting the guys that come through and this is where like it really reminds me of cobra in the way that we said that cobra was a horror movie disguised as an action movie because that's exactly what this is as well it is and you mentioned night in the living dead i didn't know we'd actually taken sort of influence from that because i've always thought of this as it's a zombie movie with no zombies i love the way this gang that that are invading that are sieging the the, the precinct they they aren't characters which sounds like a criticism and could easily again be done very wrong in a lesser filmmaker's hands and and deliberately ethnically diverse like there's no there's no credo there they literally come from every yeah. single like seemingly every They're single walk of life like age background almost. race like there's yeah they don't have any lines like the, the the villains have very few lines in this movie they i think the only scene where they actually really have much dialogue is when they're doing like the blood pact at the beginning but then they just become this like faceless zombie horde of criminals and they're like climbing in through the windows and they some of them don't even have weapons some of them are literally just climbing in to try and get in and they're all just getting gunned down and it's it's so much it's so much fun i love it when it gets to the 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 kickoff like it's a mile a minute for the second half and it's great because even amongst the action being fun you're still kind of in suspense because you know that they have limited ammunition and you also have that fear of like well these these you know a zombie movie it makes sense that the zombies don't care about their own personal well-being. They've got one thought going in their brain, and that's <laughs> brain. They want brain. Yeah. They want flesh. They want the goopy stuff. Whereas these guys, it's like they are so fired up for their cause that they are willing to 
do whatever it takes to break through and tear these people apart with their own hands if they get their hands on them. You know, it's like that, the idea of the unceasing enemy, it's really well executed here. Especially, you know, as they're they're trying to rationalize, like, oh, maybe someone heard the shots and, like, you know, they're having the whole thing where it, it suddenly reveals why no one has come and it's all like, oh, they're using silences. Oh, they've killed the phone guy. Oh, they've, they've cut the power to the area and you have the, the two patrol cops kind of, like, going around trying to find the source of, like, the commotion. They can't find this it. This movie does ramp up um, now good silences until... really are. They're not that good in real life. Like, there's a point where Tony Burton's character is firing a gun and then he's he realises it's out of bullets and he's like, I've been firing this whole time and there's been no bullets in this gun and I didn't realise because of the silencer. <laughs> just so, well, the maybe the other the gunfire and the... Well, no, no, no. well, to, in his defence, there's a lot of other loud gunfire going there's off at that point. Nearby, so maybe he didn't hear that. I do love that moment, though. I, I'm sad yeah, to yeah. Bit, but I love it. What I love is a lot of other movies like this where you've got, like, some characters sieging a, a police station... There's like maybe like four, five, six bad guys in a movie like that that will that will be kind of trying to get in. You know, like a movie like The Purge or uh And they've got to have personalities shop. as well. Yeah, and they're all kind of characters or you know, even not an action focused one like like Knock at the Cabin, Shyamalan's movie that just came out, which if you haven't seen it is great. Um the this one I love that Carpenter does it a little differently by just throwing hundreds like dozens of bad guys at this police station and just it, it, it it's they just come in such sheer numbers that it makes it a little differently f- different from so many similar movies because it's 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 a kind of there's there's no moment to breathe for the characters in another movie like this the characters will take a minute to come up with some kind of escape plan but in this movie they're like we don't have time to come up with escape plan we just have to survive well they do try at one point they, they um, do, but it, it's there'd be there'd be a whole scene in another movie where they'd have like a table set up with all different things on, yes. maybe planning stuff out. And I kind of like that this movie just doesn't give them that time. That scene is fantastic, by the way, where they do. Oh my god, the what game is it they play there? But it's so funny when they do it. They, they're like, oh, who's gonna like? They're trying to decide out of Napoleon um, and uh, um, Wells, like who's gonna go. Um, and I forget what the line is, but he says we could we could do like rock paper scissors. Like I'd lose that. It's like well we could do like short stories. Like I'd lose that too. So they do like it's like one potato, two potato, three potato, four, five potato, six potato, seven potato more. And then they're going back and forth together <laughs> until eventually they get it and Wells loses anyway. I love 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 that scene so much. What I love is that because obviously I, I know I just made it sound like they don't do a thing where they try and escape where they do have a little plan, but they they kind of come up with it incredibly quickly it's an incredibly basic plan it is literally hey there's a car over there one of us is going to run out and try and get to it and drive to that phone booth and call for help and it it also because they've had such little time to plan it it fails immediately it fails very quickly it's brutal it's so brutal like it's it's i I really do feel for for wells's character there because it's literally like he he's he didn't want to he doesn't want to be he didn't want to do it um, he he's a bit of an asshole. He literally like threatens to shoot um, uh, Lee for a second. Um, she, she would have took it like a champ. 
Yeah, she would she like <laughs> <laughs> like you know when Futurama and Fry thinks he's the robot and he's like <laughs> yeah would have been like that. Um, but I love that exchange that he has with Napoleon when they're uh, near the furnace and Napoleon is fully aware that if he gets his opportunity, Wells is gonna just go and just run away straight away. He's not begrudging for it. He's just like, hey, if, if on the way there, if you could call the police and just let them know that it's gonna be, you know, that, that might be a bit messy at the yeah. precinct, you do that would be want. great too. I love. I love the relationship that they have and like Wells isn't in it for that much but every character here is so fully realised it's great the ending sequence I kind of love that they managed to make the ending sequence like a little different as well rather than just having once again like loads of bad guys coming in through all the windows and doors and them shooting at them because they, they could have very easily, like Carpenter could have very easily made this like a rinse and repeat movie. But instead he gets them to kind of have this great kind of bottleneck moment where they're in the, in the ba- is it a basement? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's it's so good. I it, I mean, I keep saying it. It's just, it, I, I love, I think it's a really important thing in movies that, that not every movie has to reinvent the wheel. Like there's there's so many movies that go off a basic premise you know, like, one of my favourite action movie formulas is just a movie that is diehard in something. If you can pull off that kind of simple formula really well, I almost enjoy that more than, like, a movie that does something different, if that makes sense. Because you've you've managed to take something that could so easily just be pedestrian and something you've seen a million times before, and you can make it... You can still invest me in it, and you can still make me so much more interested in it than I ever thought I could be. And this this movie is mm. a perfect example of that. It is. It Dan, I I can't wait for you to watch Rio Bravo. You said um, this yesterday, and I I didn't realize why you'd brought it up until today. Yeah, well, it is. It's it, well, Howard Hawks is like the 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 key principal influence on John Carpenter. Like, I think if you for the Sight and Sound poll that came out last year, I think all of Carpenter's choices were Hawks movies. Um, I think Rio Bravo was there. Right. Uh, I think Only Angels Have Wings was on there too. Um. But you'll watch that movie and you'll see so much of why Assault on, Pre- on Precinct Thirteen works is because that because I look at I look at Napoleon Wilson and it's not the same character at all. No way am I saying that. But he to me works for the same reasons that Dean Martin's character does in Rio Bravo, and I just think they're both two very well constructed characters. And the emphasis on friendship and camaraderie and darkness at the same time that's kind of bubbling beneath the surface. Um, it's so excellently done. I mean, I'm just and... going to say it now. We're, we, we're going to have to just do an episode on Rio Bravo when I watch it, aren't we? Oh, please, Dan. It <laughs> literally... That was one of my dad's most beloved movies. Um, and I rewatched it again late last year. And I won't I won't give away the moment for you. I, mean, I don't know how you feel about like um, Dean Martin in in general i don't know if you're a fan of his music or... i'm not especially familiar with him i'll be honest i'm not that's a big fair. knowledge i'm not very knowledgeable music wise and okay. i haven't really seen many movies with him in so i i like dean martin's music i like a, i like a good crooner um <laughs> but there is a moment in rio bravo and i think dean martin's performance in that movie is one of the greatest performances of all time there's yeah. a moment in that film between him and ricky nelson and it is one of the most gorgeous moments in movie history um i'm excited i'm looking forward to you watching that because yeah it's beautiful 
it's it'll be a big i think a big step on my kind of western uh education yeah we'll definitely have i'm gonna sneeze <coughs> ah! oh, <that's> <laughs> we're, keep, we're keeping that in <laughs> i couldn't hold it out that was the greatest sneeze i've ever heard I literally... <laughs> no. You and I swear to God, if you got that out of the episode. Oh, man, alive. Just a little sneeze, a little, a little chew. Oh, man. But yeah, I, we were going to talk about that final moment in the bottom yes. night, weren't we? Yeah, yeah. So they have a bit of a plan at the end because they're like, we can't escape. We're going to have to survive. We're going to... They found some kind of explosive substance yeah it's the magnesium flares or something isn't it that's at the end of this long corridor that is the the basement they have a rifle with three shots left in it and just a big ass sign and they're like we're gonna and a chair leg and a chair leg and they're like we're gonna put this sign up we're gonna stand behind it we're gonna push them back as long as we can and we're gonna try with three shots to shoot at these explosives and take out as many of these bastards as we can and it is uh, what does the sign say on the front is it is it like is oh, it man, support your local it says like support your local sheriff or something, something like that like that I, I, which I again i love that i love that image so much the irony is delicious but i love the the speaking of like when we were saying this is a zombie movie and how many like bad guys there are i love the sheer amount of guys that come running down this corridor at them mm-hmm. and they're not even like they don't have a plan to get the people in the police station they're just running at them and just flailing arms and like flailing weapons and just trying to hit something and they're not even they don't even seem that bothered about possibly hitting each other they Mm -hmm. just want to cause chaos and kill whoever they can in there and obviously they're like crawling through the sewer like rats and like Lee is just shooting them as they come through a couple of great shots from Lee where she takes a couple of those guys out Man, she's such a she's such Lee, a good character. Damn, I I I love Lee. I love we, Lee. I love Napoleon. It should be I one of the Bishop. more sung like seventies action movie female characters because there's compared to nowadays, and even nowadays, it's not enough. But compared to nowadays, there was almost yeah. none then. And and it, I, when when should... you uh, when when you get into the 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 Howard Hawks stuff, you'll you'll hear you'll encounter the term Hawksian woman right. uh, quite regularly. Uh, and and Lee fits into the bracket of a Hawksian woman, where she's like still kind of like feminine, but there's like a strength in her femininity, yeah, and she can yeah. like hold her own against like the men and stuff. Uh, and Lee definitely kind of like <laughs> exemplifies that in a great many ways. Um, she's just wonderful. I love I love the kind of you know we talk about like the 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 enemy being like zombies. Her cool collected spirit is kind of almost like she's so calm, like. Yeah, I just I love it. She's wonderful, uh, and then obviously you know Bishop pulls off the shot. We get the lovely explosion, um, the bit where, and then we again Carpenter hangs hangs the suspense perfectly after that because then outside and the the cavalry's arrived, and we don't know if if our heroes have made it out and they come down the steps. The camera is fixed at a low angle as we see all the charred corpses of the the Street Thunder gang members, and then it's just them. Sully raising their heads above yeah. the the door, the the sign that they have held up, and the bad guys almost don't really get defeated. 
No, it's just it's just they just survive, and that's yeah. what it's all. On Precinct Thirteen is all about. It's about survival. There's people who die, and there's people who live, and there's there's good hit and evil in and amongst that. Um, and I again, just absolutely beautiful stuff. The bit where that asshole fucking medic comes in and is like, "Ma'am, we've got a stretcher waiting for you," and Lee's like, "I don't want, I don't want it," and then he complains to them. So Lee goes out on her own. And then that great bit where they try and arrest Napoleon and Bishop's like, get your fucking hands yeah, off him! Yeah, it's great. Also, that look between Lee and Napoleon, like, oh. is, uh, when you said the smoke thing was the sexiest thing that's ever happened on movies, that's number two. That, that, scene, is no, that scene is number two when they're just looking at each other. I need to believe in my brain that they just had the nastiest, raunchiest sex after this movie <laughs> ended. I just, I can't contemplate any other scenario here. It has to have happened. Hats. There is too much sexual tension for it not to have been released somehow. <laughs> you, you know what we like haven't mentioned at all. I'm a little bit of a tangent. Um, just how great Carpenter is with scores. Oh yeah, no, he's just a genius. I mean, he's a fucking genius. Saying, I'm not saying anything other people haven't already said, but even like his lesser known scores, like this one, um, or like. I don't feel like I hear people bring up the Escape from New York score as often, which I love. I've been playing. You 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 said the word Escape from New York at the beginning of this podcast, and that theme has played in my head the entire conversation we've had. Um, yeah, it's one of my all. Escape from New York is one of my all-time favorite movie themes. It's um, a beautiful theme, yeah. and I love this one. So it's like doo 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 doo. It's great. Do, 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 do. And even when you forget them, it's like I think I said this with Tango and Cash when we like sandwich. I love the Tango and Cash theme, which, as I've just said, that sense that's now just that's now just replaced the Escape from New York theme. And as I see Expendables tonight, that will be now the song that plays in my head all evening. Um, it's basically I... like we you know that Homer Simpson bit where it's like old stuff comes new stuff comes in it pushes old stuff out of my brain it's like that but it's just the Tango and Cash yeah. theme and the Escape from New York theme I don't remember my bank <laughs> pin but I could sing the entire Tango and Cash theme at you um, but even the ones that you kind of don't remember um, you kind of they, they kind of kick off in the movie and you're like oh, oh holy shit this is one of the best movie scores of all time like I couldn't before I watched the Salt and Precinct 13 the other day, it was like the third time I'd seen it. Couldn't have done the tune to you that plays at the beginning of this movie, but as soon as it played, I went, this is incredible. How did I forget this? What I love about the score for this as well is like, obviously you have the great opening theme, which does, you know, I feel like it plays the opening. I'm trying to remember the next time it comes in because I feel it's sparsely used. And what I love about the score here is that it's kind of one of Carpenter's most subtle. Um, yeah, like there are yeah. a few regular motifs that he returns to, but the main the main function here, and you could say that with pretty much all of his scores, to be fair, or quite a few of them, is that you know the, the key function here is is driving suspense, and arguably I think the only score in his locker that that matches this one for suspense is Halloween. And the fog as well is fantastic, but the fog is more about conjuring an eerie yeah, atmosphere. Yeah. In terms of conjuring like stress and dread, um, I kind of I mean, feel like um, Halloween and this are the two best. Oh yeah, they're all great. I mean, I listened to the anthology that he's done like on repeat, and I got to see him do them all live the other year, Dan, Shit, which was you? like an all time. So yeah, yeah. I'd love to. He like, was, I've uh, he never was... been to a concert in my life, and that's one I would go to. Ah, uh, no, he he was in. Honestly, I couldn't believe it that he came to Newcastle. Um, and oh, yeah, it was beautiful. The for the bit where 
um, for They Live, they all produce sunglasses out of their pockets <laughs> and put them on. And then for the fog, the fog machine stopped working, so we had a bit of crack with the audience for a wee bit. And then when the fog started playing, he started like going for it. But if yeah, that I, ever I, happens I sh- again, Ewan, you let me know and I will be there. Oh, absolutely, mate. I mean, I think he's spoken about potentially doing one more tour. I don't know if it would be another because that was like he went, he did a U. He did a U.S. tour and a Europe tour. Uh, I don't know. He's t- he's spoken about touring again, but I don't know whether it would I, just be U.S. I kind of love the way Carpenter is now because he. Oh, he's so chill. He, he directed he's just in his vibes era. He directed Ghost of Mars in two thousand one. He directed the the ward, the ward. in two thousand ten. Yeah. Haven't seen that one. Haven't heard good things. Um, Ghost of Mars. I was not a huge fan of when I last saw it. I think I might appreciate it more now. Um, so I will rewatch that soon. But now he's just like, yeah, I'm in my like seventies or eighties, however old he is, and I tour my music occasionally. I smoke weed and I play a ton of video games. <laughs> And I like that's basketball. That's that's what we all. That's I don't smoke weed, but that's like that's 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 just that's the life. He just he's, he's just living his chill. best life. There was, he is. There was a really because every now and then I get anxious that Carpenter, like he didn't get his due in his day. You know, it's very much been a thing that his his auteur has been kind of re reappraised over the years uh, and it, it's been this way sort of since the beginning Dan when Assault and Precinct 13 came out in the States it was kind of reviled and then it got its premiere in the UK at the, the London Film Festival and the buzz from its UK premiere kind of carried it through and made it like a mega hit um, but it's always been the case that you know he, he's, his stuff has had to be like it's it's had to wait for it to do it's had to wait for its appreciation yeah, and become yeah. through in the vast majority of cases so occasionally I get anxious I'm like man that sucks that really does suck but there was this lovely interview he did I think I think it might have been with New York Magazine I might have gotten that wrong it was either there on the AV Club I can't remember but someone someone asked him a very poignant question basically being like you know what would you say I think the question was what would you say to your younger self who hasn't yet made his first film um, and he had this beautiful answer where he was basically like um, I just I want everyone to know that like well I, I want him to know that like we did it like we actually yeah. did it we made some great movies we had a lovely time and then like ultimately happy I've basically made that the most like wanky pathetic version of the really good answer that he actually gave um, but it was just really beautiful. So I think I think he knows that there's a little out there. Not that he particularly cares one way or the other. I don't think. Uh, you know, he's just happy to have his like you know get his paycheck and just chill and play Dead Space yeah. or NBA or whatever. Um, but he is like he mean as a filmmaker, truly like means so much to me. Uh, and I adore this movie to pieces and pretty much every movie that he's done. Um, but yeah, like the the one last thing I'll say on Assault and Priest on Thirteen, that you know, obviously amazing movie. I think it has one of the greatest endings of all time, the bit where he's like, I'd be honored if you would walk out with me. Um, and then they walk out together. And you ne- the camera never leaves the basement. It stays at the foot of the steps, and you see them rising up. Yeah. And then the theme hits its crescendo again. And those characters I just think that's never beautiful. see each other again. Any no. of them. I mean, the, the likelihood that Napoleon... It probably then went back to prison and was executed. Yeah, know? like yeah. There's, it's like it's that's kind of the, the the cynical like it's again that that tightrope between like you know hope and humanity balanced with like nihilistic kind of 
dread and, and despair at the, the state of everything. Um, but I love it. I think Napoleon Wilson is one of the greatest movie characters of all time. He's fantastic. I wish he'd done more. Yeah. As an actor. Absolutely. Do you have anything else to say on this on Precinct 13, or is that yes, pretty much everything? The movies. <laughs> I can bring it back every episode, I don't care. Oh, Vin, Vin, what are you doing here, Vin? Vin, you ain't Vin, going you didn't, anywhere. You didn't tell me that you were going to be here, Vin. I can't believe this. I'm so embarrassed, Dan, and Vin Diesel's here. Right, well, I think this just about wraps up everything. This has been our little chat on Assault on Precinct 13. Dan, it's been a pleasure having you back on the podcast. We must do this again, I say, as we're definitely going to do this again repeatedly <laughs> yeah, at various we, we points. Over I mean, we've months. only done it like 17 or 18 <laughs> times now. So. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you all so much for listening. Um, Dan, where can everyone find you um, outside of the Wheel of Dan Movies podcast? Um, mainly on Twitter. I mean, I'm not as active there as I don't think anyone is anymore because it is going to shit. But if you want to follow me there, I'm at dangreamer 92 uh, G-R-I-M-A I'm on uh, Letterboxd as well um, and that is just Dan Greamer so no 92, just my name um, and I, I'm mostly kind of active on Discord now <laughs> um, which I think my name is Dan Greamer on there so if you want to add me there and talk movies feel free um, and I should be soon I'm not sure when it'll be going out but I've recorded an episode of uh, fellow guest of your podcast Scott Wiley's uh, Action Addicts so that should be out at, at some Hell point. Yeah. I had a really good time recording that with Scott. Fantastic. That's awesome. I'm looking forward to listening to that. Um, yeah. Awesome. Cool. Right. Um, before we go, I do want to give a quick shout out to the patrons on the Wheel of Dabby's podcast as well. Thank you so much to Christopher Darby, George Jackson, Thomas Mulgrew, Shaka, and Josh Brown. Remember, you can go and support the podcast if you so choose to. We are there on Patreon at we Love Dad Movies. You can also follow the podcast on Twitter at We Love Dad Movies. I'm the corpse of of Ewan Patterson is lingering on on Twitter <laughs> at Ewan Bruins Things. Uh, I'll, all I do now is like I occasionally check it like every few days and such and post a tweet about a film. You do it right, which You're I think is right. I think that's the way I do it. To be honest, folks. Yeah. Um, I'm also on Letterboxd. I think that's probably the way you're going to get most of my ongoing film. <laughs> takes is to go there i'm e underscore pats p-a-t-z on there i think you should also be able to find me by just looking up you and patterson uh, and obviously if you want me on youtube you can find me at what culture i'm doing more filmy stuff there i'm also doing a lot of gamey stuff so yeah i think that just about covers it i don't know what is going to be the next episode i've got so much organized in the pipeline i've been kind of really busy like uh getting all my eggs kind of laid out and nicely arranged for the end of the year i don't know if i have something planned for next week or not but you'll know what i know folks it's, a <laughs> it's yeah exactly the secret is there is no podcast <laughs> the real podcast is the friends we made along the way yeah but the try the sad the sad fact of the matter is that the friends will never be as good as the friends that that bishop made in assault and precinct 13 um but yeah Thank you all for listening, folks. Uh, remember um, to love and appreciate Lee in Assault and Precinct 13 and Napoleon Wilson and, and Bishop. They they are heroes and legends. <laughs> and we will see you next time. Bye.